The Unity Center for Behavioral Health recently marked its one-year anniversary. Legacy Health, OHSU, Kaiser Permanente, and Adventist Health opened the 24-hour Behavioral and Mental Health Services Center on January 31, 2017 to provide immediate psychiatric care and recovery services for adults and adolescents experiencing a mental health crisis. It's Tuesday, March 13th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. Jennifer Smith sat down with Chris Ferentinos to talk about the Unity Center. I'm here with Dr. Ferentinos. Thanks for taking time to chat today. I thought we'd start with having you talk about what makes Unity Center unique. And from what I understand, uh, the care model really provides immediate psychiatric care and a path to recovery for people recovering from a mental health crisis. So how does this model differ from standard community traditional care? So Jennifer, to, to start with, I will say, um, you probably have been in the, an emergency room, and most of us have. And so we know what, um, what it looks like, how it, it's very intense, and then there are the rooms and the machines, and there's a lot of activity. And then if you have a mental health, um, a psychiatric crisis, you go into those rooms and, and it, there's not a lot for you to do. It's sometimes there's just nobody informing you of what's happening. And, and that sense of isolation, that sense of desperation can even increase. So to, to begin with, Unity Center for Behavioral Health has a psychiatric emergency service that it's open 24 seven that offers this open therapeutic environment in which the patients are actually lying down or sitting down in recliners. They can have some activity with a therapist. They do have social workers that are coming and going, and they have nurses that are coming and going. Our psychiatrists are coming and going. It's a very interesting um, environment in which people that haven't seen it, they can't believe until they come and see it because it's also very calm very chill. Um, The colors on the walls are beautiful. There are beautiful landscapes on the wall. There is natural light coming in. So there is a sense of hope there. And there is also a lot of safety for the patients because we have eyes on the patients at all times. And I've heard the phrase trauma-informed care is a part of this. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. So trauma-informed care is really the umbrella under which we built Unity Center. And trauma-informed is a way of looking at the patient through the lens of what happened to you as opposed to what's wrong with you. So it's really looking at the past and all the experiences that people have gone through and adverse childhood events or events that are going on in their lives. Think about somebody that it's probably like, say, homeless, uh, how traumatizing that it's on a daily basis. And that is um, understanding that that causes um, individuals to have um, hyper hyper. Uh, responsivity, uh, they can be hypervigilant. And in, in that regard, sometimes it's, once again, it's not what's wrong with you, you're acting wrong or strange or weird or crazy. It's much more like, what happened to you? And I, I get it, and now I try not to re-traumatize you, and I try to meet you where you are. So really be very patient-centered and less um, provider center, if you will. 
And Unity celebrated a one-year anniversary recently. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. And has served more than 7,000 patients, as I understand. So can you talk a little bit about what's happened in the past year and accomplishments? Yeah. Um, I have to say the beginning was rocky because we were bringing together four different hospitals and cultures. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, we really had a lot of, but we do it this way at OHSU, but we do it this way at Legacy. No, no, but this way at Adventist. No, wait, wait. Uh, at Emmanuel and Good Sam, it's different. And so we had a lot of that. And we had um, also just challenges in terms of staffing, such a big organization. We have 107 beds on top of the psychiatric emergency service. 22 of those beds are for children and adolescents. So it's a big operation. We uh, basically cleaned up um, the Portland market for nurses and social workers, etc., because it was not just moving from the old units to unity, was also building the psychiatric emergency service from scratch. Um, but after a good three, four months of stabilizing, I think we have definitely accomplished some pretty incredible goals. I think the one that I want to mention that it's most important to me is the fact that we are providing a very different kind of care to the people that come here. And we are serving also the objective of avoiding unnecessary hospitalizations. For instance, of the individuals that show up every day at the psychiatric emergency service in crisis, uh, this is meant for adults, by the way. It's not for uh, children or adolescents. So we only serve here 18 and over. Um, But individuals that show up, um, we are able within a period of about 20 hours on average to discharge about 80% of the people that show up here with a plan, a safety plan, a follow-up appointment, um, and just maybe some medication, etc. And about 20%, uh, we deem that they are so severely affected by their disorder at that point that they need to go to inpatient and then we admit them to our inpatient units. So that's a big accomplishment because a lot of the people that in the past may have gone uh, to a psychiatric bed, and we have very few psychiatric beds in the, in the metro area, so we really need to use those beds for the people that really need it. And can you talk about what that transition from unity back to the community is really typically like for a patient? I know no uh, two patients are exactly alike, but kind of what's that process like as a patient? Yeah, so there are two buckets, if you will, of transitions of care. We put a lot of thought into transitions of care before opening Unity. We actually put two years invested in uh, monthly meetings with all of the outpatient, residential, subacute, respite providers, crisis providers, police, ambulance, you name it. I mean, we had work groups um, working ahead of time on figuring out a model for this transition of care. And we came up with sort of like three three types of, uh, of, of um, model, a model with three, three um, ways of doing it. So one is co-location. So some of the providers actually have a navigator, a care coordinator that comes here. It's, it sits and has an office here, basically. Uh, some of the payers have care coordinators here, so some of the CCOs, Care Oregon uh, and Kaiser. And then some outpatient 
organizations have co-locators. Western Psychological is one of them. LifeWorks Northwest is one that they have a rapid response team. So if somebody is a patient that already has a connection with LifeWorks Northwest and they show up here, they send a team and that team creates that handoff. We also have this sort of in-reach. Several other organizations have people that they send in. So for instance, I I mentioned LifeWorks, DePaul uh, Treatment Centers is a substance use disorder organization sends a person here to help that transition. Um, uh, Hooper Detox is some, is not, we have the same very seamless transition for someone who may need like a, a longer term um, detox and it's all about substance use disorder and less about a, a, a psychiatric disorder. And then we have of course coordinated referrals, we have all the lines, all, all the relationships with all of the myriad of providers in our community that we can establish a contact and and make an appointment. So we have all of that. So it looks like that, but it looks like that a bit different for inpatient and and the psychiatric emergency service, because at the psychiatric emergency service, our plan has to be done faster, if you will. And in inpatient, we have a bit more time. So that's kind kind of how it looks like. Opening a brand new facility is sure to come with unexpected challenges, as you alluded to. Um, what have you encountered specifically, and sort of what, how has it changed the path forward? One of the, the biggest challenges, as I said, was the culture, and I think it changed the path forward by um, making us very focused on our culture. So we have put a lot of effort and thought into building a unity culture. Secondly, um, the people that are coming to our care can be very challenging. And in fact, there's just a lot, just a lot of people that are having such a hard time that can be present in sort of a violent, assaultive um, behaviors. So that is another area that we are putting a lot of effort and a lot of thought into creating safety safety for the patients, the visitors, the families, safety for our staff. It's almost bigger than what I imagined before. And I think it's because we have such a crisis of homelessness and just in general, so many um, contributing factors, the housing uh, crisis that we have, which puts a lot of people Um, out of housing and then there's so much desperation and then whatever they have underlying can be really activated into a full-blown crisis. Methamphetamine is a huge, huge in Portland, more than opiates. People talk about opiates a lot. Opiates, yes, it's, it's a real concern, but methamphetamine is big too. So those things coming together created a, a level of acuity that I don't know if we were like Maybe we were thinking it was going to be a, an eight, and it became a ten. Wow! <laughs> so those two things, uh, you know, creating the culture, creating the the space that it creates safety, um, and then of course the the last one that we are still struggling with is that the ambulances um, are still um, confused a bit. You know, uh-huh. like there's sort of like an inertia. So sometimes, so when I, when I get my data every month. Uh, a lot of the patients that could be coming to Unity are still going to Emmanuel 
Medical Center, OHSU, Good Samaritan, Adventist, and other places. So that puts a strain in the system because then they get there and guess what? Then they want to transfer here. So it's a it, it's kind of a costly, not very good patient experience, mm-hmm. all of that. So I think that inertia of the ambulance um, AMR company, uh, it's has played, nobody anticipated that. It's, we're gonna get there. It's, it's a matter of time and we are putting a lot of effort in education and all that, but it's, it, I, I couldn't anticipate that. These things happen, absolutely. So what about personally, what's been the most rewarding experience for you as a leader of Unity Center? Yeah, I can tell you 10 things, because this is by far my most rewarding um, job of my life. I mean, I, I almost think like I did everything I did before to be able to do what I'm doing today. And um, the fact that we were able to convince, li- literally convince uh, the donors, you know, influence the, the systems that we work together to come together and, 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 and contribute to an, an endeavor that at the end of the day loses money and that our, all of our systems, OHSU, uh, Legacy, et cetera, have to put money into it um, at the end of the day. And so to be able to do that has been incredible journey, an incredible learning of collaboration and being able to pull all these stakeholders together. And it was part of the vision for me to actually make it such that everybody felt that they had a responsibility in making us work. And I have felt nothing but support from all of the stakeholders that have worked and are still working with us. Everybody owns a piece of Unity. Unity cannot not work, you know what I mean? Because it, it was this kind of community, this is the right thing to do. So th- it, it was just, it's n- numerous things that make me happy. A huge amount of work, but a lot of reward. Fantastic. And I understand there will be five new adult inpatient beds coming uh, online a- next a- month? Yeah, April 1st. Wonderful. Yeah, well, we when we measured the, the number of people that are coming for services at the psychiatric emergency service on a daily basis. And we know that that tends to go up. It's going to go up because our city is attracting more people, et cetera, et cetera. We, we did a mathematical modeling of, we now know exactly what we need. And so five more beds are gonna give a little more cushion in the admitting um, internally uh, for the people that need uh, an inpatient admission. I'd like to ask your opinion about a difficult subject, especially in light of recent events, school shootings in particular. In the often, I'd say, polarizing debates about gun violence, people often bring up mental health. And I'd like to know from an expert, why do you think these these two issues get intermixed? And is that an appropriate conversation to bring those two topics together and what your thoughts are? Well, it it gets a little political, I think. Um, I think in reality, when you look at the history of all the shootings, that the minority were actually because a person had a diagnosable, diagnosable, treatable psychiatric condition. I think there is so much polarization in the, the gun control debate that there is a tendency to just go straight into 
oh, it's, it's a mental health issue. That's what we need to do. We need to offer more mental health. Of course we need to offer more mental health. We, we need to offer um, more st- mental health treatment because it is a, a very prevalent issue. I mean, one in every five people um, will have a psychiatric diagnosis within a 12-month period, you know, ongoing. It's like one in five. And so it's a, it's a prevalent if you, if you count all diagnoses, right? Um, but at the same time, I think it's a bit of a diversion from, of course, comparing with other countries that don't have access to guns like we do. So I think mixing those two subjects, it uh, muddles the water on uh, the tough subject of gun control. Those are really the bulk of my questions. Do you have any closing thoughts before we go? Two things. One is the, um, I don't think we, we spoke about it, but another part of our innovation that people sometimes don't know about it is that we have peer support specialists, people with the lived experience of a mental illness or addiction or both that are in recovery and they're part of our staff. Um, they, they actually work here, that's their job, and their job is not to be a medical agent or somebody that's trying to fix the problem. It's much more of being a, a beacon of hope, using the, the, the message of their own recovery and creating that instant empathy that you can have with someone that has been where you are. And, and, this, and the final thing is just a big, huge thank you that I have for OHSU because OHSU was, gave so much support, not only with the financial support, but also we could not have done this without being affiliated to OHSU academic program. We could not have hired and retained the psychiatrists that we have here, the caliber of people that we have here, without being affiliated to the academic mission that it's a huge part of what we are doing at Unity. So I'm very thankful for that. Thank you, and again, thanks for taking time today. You're very welcome. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by Jennifer Smith and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.